You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. And now just jump into our topic today. So I'm talking today about repentance. Repentance and healing in the context of healing in our series. Um, Repentance is very fundamental. It's foundational, fundamental. It's actually the kickstarter into our healing and transformation journey in the kingdom. So this is very basic, but it's so fundamental that it undergirds all that we've been talking about. Um, you know, you know, pastors have been really talking about the father and the father's heart and how we've been adopted into his family. You know, confession, forgiveness, intimacy, all these things. Underneath it is a lifestyle of repentance. So I just want to touch on that today. Um, some of you may, may think, why is it upside down? That's on purpose. It was intentional. Um, and really, I'm trying to say one thing here. With repentance, when God points at something you got to repent from, you have two options. Either that thing you looked at is saying, you're saying that thing's wrong, it's upside down. Or you got to realize you're upside down. And you got to change your perspective on it to see things correctly. That's really the essence of repentance. And um, let me take a step back. You know, when it comes to healing, like healing your soul, healing your, your inner man, um, it's not like a body where you get a gash and, um, you know, you put some ointment on it, you put a bandit on it, you stitch it up and it heals and you, maybe you have a scar, maybe you don't. That's not how healing works in the heart. Actually, healing in the heart, you're getting a brand new one. Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So you're really exchanging your old heart, the heart of stone for a new one. Amen. And repentance begins that journey of healing and transforming and receiving a new heart. So really today, what I want to do is really help reshape and redefine what you may think repentance is. Because some of us may have the wrong idea about it. Not completely wrong, but it might be a little off. So I'm going to help you with a little bit of redefining that and just contextually share, you know, how does this apply to our healing? And I want to address two things today. One is overcoming a life, uh, our life of fear and anxiety. How do you overcome those things? And also, how do you heal from the wounds, uh, the lies? How do you um, recover from the lies that, that, that came with the wounds in our life? And repentance is the key to those two things. And my hope is, at the end of the day, when you walk out of here, that you'll actually love, love, love the lifestyle of repenting. Like, you're going to want to do it every day, every second. I want you to walk out and say, this is awesome. This is a gift. This is an awesome tool for me. That's my hope. So, when I say repent, when a preacher goes, repent of your sins, what do you guys think? Like, what does that look like to you guys? You guys must have a picture of that, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it may... Yeah, you know, it may, it may look like, like a conviction, like a deep conviction. It may look like a regret. It may look like um, even like, like sorrow and, and guilt, shame maybe, all these feelings. Um, maybe even repentance is just may look like confessing. You know, some people, they go, I repented of this 20 times. I'm doing it again. See, they're confusing repentance with confession. They're, not, they're different things. They come hand in hand, but they're completely different things. 
So I really want to um, redefine and help you understand biblically what does repentance look like. Okay, so let's start with the scripture. So in the Old Testament, um, in Ezekiel, it says, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from abominations. And in Ezekiel 18, it says, Repent, turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. So here in the, in the Hebrew, uh, repent is turning around. So if that's the direction of idolatry, turn around. If that's the direction of your destruction, turn around. If that's the direction of sin, turn around. It's turning around. The Hebrew word in that under repent is shub, to return and turn back. But it's really fascinating what happens in the New Testament. So first, in Matthew, we see the word repent used by John the Baptist, and then Matthew says the same thing. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Mark, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in the Greek, it's a little bit of a different word. Metanoio, metanoio, I think that's how you say it, yep. The definition is to have a change of heart and mind that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self. It's not just simply turning around, but it's, it's not just your actions, but it's having a new way of your heart and mind and abandoning yourself, you change. That's the, it's really fascinating because Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he's actually flipping the script with a lot of things. You know, in Matthew 5, he's talking about um, like, like lust and adultery. He's like, yeah, adultery is adultery, but when you even lust after a woman, that's adultery. Yeah, a murder is murder, but even if you anger after your own brother, that's murder. So he's flipping the script. He's saying it's not just the actions, but it's about the heart. Mm-hmm. And let me say one thing about the heart in, in the biblical definition. So, you know, in today's modern world, we say like heart is our feelings, our emotions, and then our mind is our, our thoughts. But actually in the Hebrew, the heart was everything. It was the command center. It was um, where your thoughts came from. It's where your emotions came from. It's where your will came from. So, so, so in, in, the, in the biblical world, even your thoughts come from the heart. So, God, so Jesus is saying, change how you think. Start thinking differently about everything, because that's what my kingdom requires. So what does that entail to, uh, have, to, have, to, to repent and step into the kingdom? You've got to think. We need to have a thinking life. This walk with Jesus is not just feelings and experience. Those are, those are great too. I'm not saying those are bad, but it's, it requires a lot of thinking. Yep. If you don't think, yep. it's just going to be religion or a perversion of the gospel. So repentance is a thinking life. It's an active engagement in your thought life. Repentance is the first response required through the hearing of the gospel announcement. The gospel, what's the gospel? That's an announcement. So that word they use for the gospel, it's when a new kingdom takes over and there's a herald and people are announcing there's a new king in town. There's a new kingdom in town. So what is Jesus saying when he's saying repent? He's saying to enter into this new kingdom that I'm establishing right here, the key to it is repentance. Change how you think. That's the doorway. So to even step into this kingdom that Jesus is teaching, he's saying repent. That's, that's, that's always requiring us So that's the first response we have to really get into. He's saying my kingdom is so radically unique, it's so utterly unknown to what you've known before, it needs to change how you think before you even can even engage with it. 
Okay. So I'm going to use the term operating systems. Like, Jesus is really, when you, when you engage him in the Gospels, he's really talking about your operating system. That's the kingdom. You know, um, in, in our context, in the modern world, in the digital world, I think that the picture of an operating system uh, helps a little better than kingdom. Um, either, even though kingdom is a pretty strong imagery as well. But um, he's really saying, what is the operating system that's ruling your life? Because that has to change. Yeah. He's saying, my kingdom is a new system. It's a new operating system. It's a restoration of the divine creation I'm establishing in this order. So he's saying, unhook yourselves from the old operating systems. Purge it, delete it, and download this new one. Because that stuff is not going to work in my new system. Your old ways of seeing things, your old way of doing things, it just doesn't work here. It's not compatible. You know, when Jesus was, uh, before he started his ministry, he was, you know, in the wilderness for 40 days. He was fasting and praying. You know, he wasn't just doing that and being still. It was actually, he was warring against the old system. It was a violent war active against Satan's system saying, your ways, your old ways doesn't work in my ways anymore. What you say is my source of life. What you say is my source of of life and, and, and meaning and purpose. That doesn't work with me. He was actively warring and saying, this is a new system. I'm bringing it. Okay. So I'm a little bit of a, a nerd with uh, computers and products and electronics. That's what I do by vocation. Do you guys know who these two are? I'm sure you guys know him. Steve Jobs. Do you guys know who this is? <laughs> so there's a reason you guys don't know who this guy is. His name is Steve Wozniak. Them two created Apple in their garage in Cupertino in their parents' house. But no one knows about him for a very interesting reason. The reason I bring this up is, do you know what's the reason Apple is so successful for 30, 40 years since the early 80s? Steve. It's Steve Jobs, yeah. But do you know what he believed in that he didn't believe in? No, I mean, he was the engineer. So he was the engineer. So actually, he did everything. Steve Jobs was more the marketing guy. But there's a reason that you know Steve Jobs, you don't know Steve Wozniak. And it's not just because they made nice, pretty phones. It's not because they made things that uh, are um, so forward-thinking. The reason Apple, not, even way before the iPhone, just from the first computer, the reason that they were so successful is because they introduced something called the closed system. So in the 80s, in the computer world, everything was called open source. So you know, the, the, engineering, the engineering crowd and everyone, it was, like a, it was like a close-knit community and everyone shared things with each other. So when they made the first Apple Macintosh, Martin, I said, yeah, I want my Macintosh to work with that guy's laptop, I mean, that guy's monitor, that guy's operating system, that guy's mouse. He wanted it to be open source and shared. But Steve Jobs said, no. They don't know what they need. Everything has to work how I created. So he created the closed system, which is unheard of in the computer world back then. So Steve Jobs set out to make a, a computer where the keyboard, the monitor, the operating system, the software, everything was just Apple. It wouldn't work with anything else. It was a closed system. And the point I'm trying to make is that he believed that the customers, the users, don't know what they need. They don't know what's good for them. We do. So we're going to create everything. Every single piece of this machine I'm going to create and it's going to just work. And what happens with Apple? Apple is just works, right? Right? Everyone has that, but it just works, right? That is a closed system. And I'm not saying that God, Steve Jobs is anything close to God, but 
he has something that really a principle that, that's really profound that, yeah, God is saying, I have the closed system. I created the world. I created your body. I created your soul. I created everything. And you got to operate in my closed system because <laughs> it's just going to work. Yeah. So, how does this apply to the things that we're going to talk about today? So, fear and anxiety. So, I don't want to oversimplify fear and anxiety. I know there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of things. But I believe, at the core of it, fear and anxiety is a repentance issue. Because if you live in a system that perpetuates fear and anxiety, what are you going to get? Fear and anxiety. Jesus is bringing a new kingdom. He's saying, my kingdom, the one I'm establishing here now, there's benefits to it. And you know what some of these benefits? You don't have to live with fear and anxiety anymore. That's right, Not even just a little, none. 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 There's no compromise here. And he's teaching that in the gospel. He's saying, this is how you live into my system and that you can live without these things and experience the benefits of my kingdom today. So um, today's text, I'm going to go to Matthew 6, 25. This is a well-known passage. I'm sure you guys all you know, heard it, read it before. It's about do not be anxious. But this is a continuation, actually, before that, starting from um, verse 19, where he's talking about you can't serve two gods. You can't serve mammon. You can't serve God. It's got to be one or the other. So he's kind of continuing that. But it goes much deeper than just money. And you know what's so interesting? I actually um, Googled... Um, the definition of economics. And you know what it is? It's the study of scarcity. It's how do you take finite resources and satisfy infinite desires. That already shows that the premise of economics does not work in God's kingdom because God's kingdom has no scarcity. <laughs> right? Come on, bro. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying throw economics out the window, but we shouldn't be a servant to it. It should serve us, because we come from the kingdom. Okay, so let's read from verse 26. Do not be anxious. So Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them and... Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? So when I used to um, first study this passage you know, throughout my, my walk, I, I understood the point that Jesus was making. It's, of course, we're people. He values us more than birds and lilies. Um, but this time around, it's something that struck me. Um, you know, he's preaching to his disciples and the Jewish community. And these communities, they understand the Old Testament scripture. And I think when he's pointing out the birds and the flowers, he's actually pointing at the Genesis 1 and 2, where, he, where God 
uh, commissions Adam to have dominion over the birds and the animals, to name them, to have dominion over the earth, to steward it. So he's saying, look, look at the, look at the original creation. In the original creation story, you guys were image-bearing, dominion-holding, co-agents that had dominion over these things. You were in charge. You were masters over these things. These things are taken care of even right now. You don't, they don't worry. How much more do you not have to worry if you're created to be masters over all this creation? And I think he's really hitting that, hitting that imagery there. Good. Yeah. And then he continues. He says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek the king, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> seek the kingdom first. How do you do that? We repent. 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 Once again, everything's about what operating system are you subscribing to? Are you going to jump on this new one he's bringing in and just you know, rebooting your whole system? Or are you going to still hang on to the old one? Because you can't have both. Um, I'll, just, I'll just share something that, that kind of uh, resonates with this teaching. So a while ago, I used to have this weird like, thought pattern. So I love movies. Like Ever since a kid, I love going to movie theaters. That's always been like my pastime. So even today, I go to movies. And I have Tina, my forever movie date. But sometimes she doesn't want to go. But I'm, I'm fine going by myself. So my pastor gets me. <laughs> so I go to movies by myself a lot. <laughs> Especially when I'm on business trips. Sometimes I have like a free night. I'm just going to watch a movie. But I had this weird thought pattern where um, when I'm sitting in a movie theater by myself, I'll always have this like scenario. If some crazy guy walks in with a gun, <laughs> shoots up the place, I go, was this, was this movie worth my life? And ask that. And it's not fear, like I don't feel fear where I like leave the movie theater, but it's fear-based thinking at the end of the day. And you know, I was like processing that, like why do I always think about this scenario? <laughs> and God, God you know, dropped one on me. He said, you're still operating in a system where it's purely cause and effect, and I had nothing involved in it, and I'm just watching from the outside. So you don't think that I could step into any of your decisions to protect you or save you or make sure you live? Excellent. Yeah. Beautiful. Once I repented of that thinking where this is not a cause and effect universe, this is God incarnated universe where he is personal in our lives, I stopped thinking about that scenario. That's just what repenting is. Repentance is coming under one rightful king and his kingdom and going all in. There's no halfway kingdom living. I actually believe Christians who have their foot in the old system and still trying to live a kingdom life have more anxiety than the world. Because they're processing two very different things at the same time. You got to go all in with the kingdom. That's how you get the benefits of it. Um, you know, my parents, um, they came to the States when they were in their 30s. So they were Korean citizens, and they had to come to America and get citizenship here. And it wasn't easy. It takes some time. But why did they do that? Because they knew if I have an American citizenship, if I live in the U.S., there are benefits 
that I cannot have in Korea at that time. So they came here, and they had to take the citizenship. And what they, what they had to do, they had to get rid of their Korean citizenship. They could, you couldn't have both. They fully signed on to the US citizenship. And you know what? They, don't, they didn't experience the benefits of the US citizenship right away, but they believed it was true. So they kept engaging. And in that belief and hope, they start testing it. Does this work? Does this work? Can I do this? Oh, I could do it. I could do that. And their life begins to flourish. That is the kingdom life. You got you to gotta get rid of your old citizenship and step in fully into the kingdom. You are a citizen of the kingdom. Also, I know, I know I'm saying repentance is about your thought life. It's how you think, how you see things. But repentance also looks like something. You're going to see change in your behavior. Usually, you'll start moving in the opposite spirit of, spirit of what you're repenting from. For example, if you have financial fear, you'll start becoming generous. You'll start sowing. If you had issues with immorality and lust, you'll start living faithfully. So repentance does have to look like something. It's not just in here. That's right. Yeah. Good. Okay. This is, this, is, this is a cool one. So the Psalms is amazing. They actually pattern, most Psalms pattern a life of repentance. So this is a typical pattern. There's chaos. There's external chaos in their circumstances that causes internal chaos. So they start talking about that. And then what do they do next? They go to God. God, take this away from me. Stop this. Stop this. You know, I, I can't live with this. This is painful. But then their tone changes. They start exalting God. And they say, God, you're good. Even in this circumstance, I know you're good. And then how does the psalm end? There's relief. But here's the crazy thing. The circumstances haven't changed. But the internal, it changed. The internal chaos is gone. That is repentance. That's how you overcome fear. Repentance repositions you with a new vantage point that brings you into the line of sight for righteous living that adds to your life. So where's my football people here? Football, football, quarterbacks, right? When they're in the pocket, they're looking for that touchdown, right? What did, and they don't have a route. What do they do? They take one step, right? What does that one step do? It changes everything, right? You see it. Just one step. That is repentance. It's changing your vantage point. You know, fear and faith actually have a sim very, very similar property in one thing. Both fear and faith is a belief about something up in the future. Excellent. It's a belief in something that didn't happen. <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's what fear and faith have in common. But here's the thing. Fear is rooted in uncertainty and it causes unrest. Faith is rested in certainty and something you trust that's promised, that's, that's, that's eternal and it creates rest. So whether you fear or you have faith, you're putting your eggs in some basket that hasn't happened yet. Don't spread it. <laughs> Pick one. So really what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I deal with a lot of people who have a lot of fears and stuff and you know, I understand, you know. Um, but a lot of times they want prayer to cast it out. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you don't cast fear out. <laughs> you, you take a shift you, you change your vantage point where you ask where am I looking at the situation from am I looking at it from the kingdom 
from God's eye and looking at the situation, or am I looking at it from a place where it perpetuates fear and anxiety? It's really about where you stand. So really, when you're dealing with fear, it's um, asking, you know, am I looking at this correctly? God, where can I repent underneath this fear that would change everything? A couple of things that I want to make sure that I'm not saying is, I don't want you to feel bad if you have concerns or you feel fear or anxiety. There's nothing wrong with that. But courage is not the absence of feeling that. Courage is doing the right thing in the face of it. Amen. Right? Amen. When you feel it, what's your, what's your response? That makes the difference. Also, I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. You know, this life, there's suffering, there's pain. I know a lot of you guys walk through it. So, you know, it doesn't mean there's no suffering, but this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Even in your suffering, you don't have to worry about your life. Even in the suffering. Because I will supply, the kingdom will supply everything you need to get through that suffering. That is why we don't worry about the suffering. It's not that we don't. Man, so I'm, I'm taking a, a class right now. Um, and my professor, he, his, in, in Thanksgiving, his son passed away. His son died. This really terrible tragedy. And you could even tell. You know, he shared in the beginning of the semester, but he doesn't like talk about it all the time, but you could tell there's a, there's, he's going through pain. He's going through sorrow. But you know, he's teaching about the goodness of God in that, you know, in the midst of his suffering. But he ended the class with this one thing. He said, when you know God is good, you can suffer anything. When you know God is good, you can suffer anything. And coming from a guy who's going through that, it's just, yeah. And that's, that's true. That's what, what, that's what Jesus is saying. Okay. I'm going to shift here to healing from your wounds. How repentance will help you heal from your wounds. Okay. God is a healer. He is the medicine. Repentance is not the healing agent, but it rightly positions you under the healer. Excellent. You can't heal if you don't repent. It's like, um, let's say you, you break your arm. Um, and you need to get surgery, you gotta, you gotta first opt into the right surgeon, right? You gotta, you gotta decide, oh, he is the healer? I'm saying yes, I choose you, and you're stepping under his knife. That is repentance. Without repentance, you're not putting yourself in position under the healer. So that is really um, what it does. Healing is essentially the divine exchange of the lies received from your wounds for the healing truth from the Father. You're exchanging lies in your wounds, you're giving that, and you're receiving truth from the Father. You know, Tina and I, we had the privilege to have done, you know, inner healing ministry for a long time now, for several years now. And really, it just boils down to this, I always say. Honestly, healing boils down to truth for lies, truth for lies, because the enemy is so nasty. You know, when there's a trauma in your life, when there's a hurt in your life, the enemy doesn't stop at just that hurt. He plants a lie with that trauma. And that lie is what changes the trajectory of your life. For example, when you know, a young girl is abused, she did nothing wrong, and that experience alone was traumatic. But then she lives with the lie for the rest of her life, saying, I'm unlovable. The only way I could be loved is if I do this physical thing. That is the, the, the nastiness of the enemy. And what healing really is, the repenting part of it is saying, oh, that was a lie in my wound. It's not true. God, I give you this lie. 
give me your truth. And the more you just feast on the truth, the more you feast on the truth, you heal. And your wounds have no power over you anymore. So really at the core of it, repentance is the righteous stewardship of your thought life. Excellent. You're actively, on a daily basis, changing your default posture on the way you think. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey it to Christ. It's stewardship. It's just daily stewardship. It's not these big dramatic events where you're like confessing your deepest, darkest sins. It's, it's little things. It's everything. It's anything. There you go. Yeah, that's repentance. It's like breathing. Make repentance a daily part of your life like you're breathing and eating. You know? When you have a trigger, when you feel something and you know it's not of the Lord, just ask, oh, where, what is the wrong thinking here? That's all it is. How am I seeing this thing wrong? What is the truth? Whatever God tells you is the truth. It's so easy. If he says it, it's the truth. You don't even have to question it. And then do you step into what he says or do you, are you going to hang on to what, what, you, what you feel? Yeah, and also get into the word, get into the scripture. Let scripture wash over you. Yep. That's the, that, this is the source of all truth. Yeah. Sometimes maybe you're having trouble hearing the Lord. Well, he wrote a book for you. <laughs> Read it. Get that in you. It's just, it's just, it's just this, is, this is so essential. The more you, and then this is the great thing. The more you live into the lifestyle of repentance, the easier it becomes. Easier repenting becomes, your mind becomes more conducive to the truth. Because you're experiencing the benefits. And the more you do experience the benefit, the more your, your mind hungers for the truth. And repenting becomes easy. I love in Psalm 19 when David just talks about, I love your law. I love your wisdom. It's good for me. That's what it is. It's like you get to a place where you love it so much. You're at, you wake up in the morning and go, God, what am I repenting from today? Yeah, let, let's start off with repentance. See, it's not this like, you know, heartbreaking thing, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a life-giving thing. All right, here's my last point. There is a prerequisite to repenting and to your healing and transformation, and that's humility. Pastor touched upon earlier today, too. You know, Matthew 5, Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the poor in spirit, the humility. Man, you know, um, I'm, there's so much good news in my life these days, but one thing is recently someone very dear to me and my family, he gave his life to Christ. It's, it's amazing. But I told him, I said, hey, I'm just warning you, when you walk with Jesus, it could be brutal. It could even be violent because he's going to go up against everything you know and think is right, and he's going to turn it upside down. Yes. And I said, like, I'm just telling you, it's not always just cotton candy and, and yeah, yeah. But you know what he said? What, his response to that was so, it, it just shocked me. Um, he said, David, he calls me Dave, all I know is everything I knew to this day is wrong. Everything I knew up to this point that I was taught is wrong. So I'm ready to just take the truth. 
I was like, wow, he's ahead of hundreds of Christians I know who've been sitting in churches for all their life. Yeah, that is it. That is it. That is the key to repentance. That's why, that's why when the rich man came to Jesus and asked him, how do I inherit the kingdom? You know, he didn't have, he wasn't poor in spirit. He still was operating in the system that my riches is going to give me life. So I can't, I can't reject that operating system to take on this one. See, that's, that's, it's, that's the humility piece. You know, even in my own life, you know, when I think about areas where I was so slow to change, the only thing that got in the way was my pride. It wasn't anyone else. It wasn't bad teaching. It wasn't the wrong church. It wasn't, you know, it was my pride. But the minute you let your pride down, you humble yourself, the repentance process begins, and God will heal you. Yeah, so, I mean, that's all I have for today. Um, I just want to leave space right now to really invite the Holy Spirit. Um, let's just, yeah, just come before him in a spirit of humility. Everything we think that we know and understand and got it right, that might not be the case either. Even in, the good, even in your best intentions, it may still be wrong, or there might still be some untruth or lies in there. So really, let's just humble ourselves right now and just ask, invite the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to shine that, that, that flashlight into our soul and just ask Him, where am I thinking incorrectly? What are some incorrect thinking patterns or things where I put trust in the old systems that you want me to deal with tonight?